Morning. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, ever run in a race before, but uh, even if you haven't run in one, they're entertaining to watch. I, I remember the very first race that I ran uh, as an adult. Uh, it was the Andover 5K in 2008. Now, I, I don't remember a whole lot about that race, but w- one of the things that I remember is I lined up to, next to this uh, <clears throat> 9 or 10-year-old kid, and right when the gun went off, he just took off at an all-out sprint. I, I tell you what, for a certain amount of time, he led the entire pack of 300 people in the race. And he was leading the pack up until about one block into the race, right? <laughs> you see the same kid, and he's just doubled over on the side. Like, oh, man. Oh, he's probably got the worst side ache of his life, right? If you think about it, I think that's how a lot of us have approached the Christian life. You had at some point or another in your life where you just kind of took off towards Christ, right? And, and you were passionate about God and you were just running after him. But kind of ever since then, many of you have just been sort of walking, right? Maybe even feels like you're walking backwards now in the race of life. And, and why is that? As we dive back into the Gospel of Luke this morning, Jesus is going to talk to us about why that is. Uh, if you want to follow along, there's a Bible under every chair. We're going to be on page 839. Uh, or you can use the Renovation Church app. You just tap Bible and weekly verses. Uh, I really want you to have the scripture in front of you this morning. Uh, however you do that, whether you grab a Bible or open your app, uh, we're going to reference it back and forth a lot like we usually do. Uh, we're visual learners. E- even just to see it with your own eyes is going to help the scripture just soak into your heart a little bit more. So have it in front of you in some sort of capacity. So page 839 if, you're, if you picked up a Bible. So over the 12 verses that we're going to look at this morning, Jesus is going to tell us a parable. Now, before we read it, there's a whole bunch of symbols, and so I'm going to just kind of explain them to you beforehand so it makes more sense to you even as you reread it. Uh, We're going to do the parable of the sower this morning. Now, in the parable, Jesus is going to be the sower, the farmer. The seed represents God's word, his truth coming into our lives. And then there's going to be four different types of soils. Now, the different types of uh, soils are the different states of the human heart. They're how we respond to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus. So let's take a look at the parable. So Luke chapter 8, first three verses about, are about uh, people gathering around Jesus. He talks even about all of these women that were financial supporters of his ministry. And then we're going to jump in at verse 4. Here's what it says. It says, while a large crowd was gathering... And people were coming to Jesus from town after town. He told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell among rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop, a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what the parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. It's going to be a tricky few verses. We're actually going to, for those of you that have house groups, we're going to unpack that in the, in the house groups teaching. Verse 11, it says, This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. 
then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Okay, there's a ton in this parable. This is really a story about the makeup of your spiritual heart. That's what the soils represent. And it, it represents your receptivity to God's word in your life. So you sort of imagine in those days you had a farmer, they did sort of broadcast sowing with their seeds. So you just have a bag, you'd go out, you just kind of scatter the seed around the ground, and, and then later they would come through and kind of plow it into the soil. But as you can imagine, if you're doing that and you're just kind of scattering it all over the place, the seed is going to fall onto different soils. Well, the same thing is true in our lives over time. Uh, we're not always the same soil, as much as we'd like to say we just get stuck in a particular type. There are some seasons in your life where the Word of God, and that, that can come through preaching like this, it can come through you just reading Scripture at home, uh, it can come through a friend speaking truth to you. There are some seasons where the Word of God just is penetrating deep into your soul, and it's just really affecting you and changing you. And there are other seasons in your life where it just doesn't seem to be sinking in. As I rack up uh, more and more years uh, of of ministry now, it's been 18 years since I started leading a college ministry, I'm learning more and more about what it means to follow Jesus for a lifetime, not just a season. And the lifetime piece, that's that's hard. Just because you're following Jesus right now doesn't guarantee that you're going to be following him 10 years from now. Or 25 years from now. Right? It doesn't matter that you grew up in church. It doesn't matter that you prayed the prayer. Following Jesus is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It takes a very purposeful decision, year after year, month after month, to say, I'm committed to following Jesus, no matter what. I'm committed to keep working on the soil of my spiritual heart. You know, in ministry, I've seen people walk away from Jesus that you would never dream would walk away from him. Why? Because they just stopped watching over their heart. I was just talking to a friend the other day, and she was saying that in her wedding, she had five people stand up as, as bridesmaids next to her. All five of them were following after Jesus. She said, now, just a number of years later, three out of the five aren't following Christ anymore. And I would guess that you have people like that in your life as well. Well, why is that? Let's just see if we can kind of unpack the four soils and see if we can ascertain what the dangers are. Because I want to know that, right, from my own life. Keep in mind, the first three soils in particular, uh, these are the type of heart conditions that are going to get in the way of God's word penetrating into your heart. So let's Let's just start with the first soil. So let's just read verse 12. Look at that again. It says, Those along the path are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. 
Okay, so these are people, they're exposed to the word of God, but nothing is really sinking in. By the way, this is the majority of people uh, in our city, right? They at some point have been exposed to something about Jesus. Unlike, say, maybe somebody who's off in the Middle East somewhere. They've had some exposure to the word. The seeds have been bouncing, but they've been bouncing right off their heart, right? They're not sinking in. Their heart is hard. And what they need is they need you. They need you to bring some more seeds into their life. They need the love of Christ through you to soften their soil to better receive the word. Right? Some of you, uh, maybe you're here this morning and you're just starting to open up your heart to God. Maybe the, for the first time, maybe the, for the first time in a really long time. Uh, if that's you, that's amazing. Uh, we, are, we just love people like that and there's so many over the years that have come in our doors just like that. We are pumped that you're here. But I would say to you, as you're going to see here this morning, there are a thousand ways that your heart is going to want to turn hard against God. And so if you're in the season where it's softening, run with that. Pursue him now. Let's move to the second soil. Now, the second soil gets a bit tricky theologically, actually. So this is verse 13. It says, Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Okay, now what, what kind of person is this? Two schools of thought on this. One would say, okay, this is a Christian who's really passionate about Jesus, but then they fall away, they walk away. Or others would say, uh, this was a person who pretended to be a Christian, but they never actually were a Christian, and that's why they fell away. And this is a tough question. We actually unpackaged this question in our Renovation U classes in the summer, but since I don't have 60 minutes to sort of unpack that for you, uh, it, I'll just say this. <clears throat> it really just depends if you're a Calvinist or an Arminian. If you've never heard those words in your life, uh, I guess just Google it. <laughs> you, you figure it out. Okay. The, the truth is, whether this is a person who is a Christian and is walking away from God, or this is a person that was never truly with God, we ought to be scared of letting our hearts deteriorate into this condition, right? And that's a good type of fear. Uh, 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 let me give you some examples of what this looks like. Uh, one of the easiest ways to see this is uh, we see a number of examples like this when we do outreaches like our, our Easter or Family Fun Day. We'll, we'll do a service and we'll see 40 people stand up and say, I want to start following Jesus. I, I commit my life to Christ. And we're usually pretty careful on those days to say, hey, this morning we had 40 commitments to Christ. Rather than saying, hey, this morning we had 40 people saved. Right? Because are they, if, they, if they stand up and they say, I'm going to follow Jesus with my life, are they saved? Time will tell. Like for many in that moment, it's completely genuine. Some of you, a lot of you in this room, that's, this is your story. But for other people, they're exactly as Jesus describes in the word, right? They, they stood, I mean, they even stood across from us. They, they, they stood up, they gave their lives to Christ. We took them out in the hallway, we go in the follow-up room. They have tears streaming down their face as they received Jesus with joy. But then when the testing comes, as, as your passage says, they fall away. Uh, in Matthew's version of this, it says, when the persecution comes, and then he adds, because of the word, because of the word of God. 
We had a guy once who accepted Christ at one of our outreaches, and he was so pumped about it, and he was super excited. Well, a number of weeks went by, and he started to just ask questions, and he would say, yeah, but what does the Bible teach about this? Or what does the Bible say about that? Or what does the Bible say about this? And we started to answer and just say, here's what the scripture teaches on this. And he said, uh, you know, on second thought, no thank you. And he walked away. See, he wanted Jesus. He received that with joy. But he wanted Jesus on his terms, not on God's terms. And so he fell away. Okay, then there's the third soil. So now look at verse 14. It says, The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. I think this actually describes a whole lot of evangelical Christians. Right? They had a period in their life, maybe when they were first born again or something, uh, maybe in high school, maybe in college. Excuse me. Uh, maybe when they had their first kid, where they were just passionate, you know, on fire for Jesus. But ever since then, life has been ever so slowly choking out their heart for spiritual things. And Jesus says, the things that choke out your heart for spiritual things, what does that say? It's your worry, the pursuit of money, right? And pleasure. I was just talking to a guy this week who I know at one point in his life, he was just passionately following after the Lord. But he doesn't go to church anymore. And I was inviting him to our church. I said, I think you'll like it. The preaching is excellent. Uh, (laughs) And he said, nah, I just, I can't because I, I work on Sundays. And I know this guy has followed Christ before. So I said to him boldly, I said, you know, put Christ first. And he's gonna provide for you. And he said, yeah. easy for you to say, right? It's easier said than done. And I said, you know, they, they, I have a relationship with this guy. I said, you know, they have church on Saturdays too, right? You could do that. And he said, uh, yeah, I just don't know. See, I, I think the way that Jesus describes this in uh, Matthew's version is actually quite fitting for this. He says that the thorns in the parable of the sower, that they choke out the word. And then the explanation he gives is because of the deceitfulness of wealth. The deceitfulness of wealth. That's the idea that I can't really put Jesus first in my life. I can't live this sort of first fruits type of lifestyle with my finances, with my schedule. And we say, I can't do that because if you just knew me, you would know how much I need the money. You would know how crazy my schedule is. And I would just say, this is what the word is teaching. All of your money... All of your possessions are going to be in a landfill 100 years from now. And you are either going to be in heaven with Jesus or you're going to be in hell without him. Money isn't what needs to come first in your life. Money, right, and this is why Jesus says it's often deceitful. Money can give you a false sense of security as if you're doing okay, right? But just as money can't buy you love, money is not going to determine where you are 500 years from now. See, the thorns of worry, of money, and pleasure, they they will always choke out your faith 
when they run deeper than the gospel does in your heart, right? So when push comes to shove, and this happens every day to us, really, what's, what is running deep? If this is your heart, I should have actually drawn a heart here, right? Okay, if this is your heart, because that's what it actually looks like, and, 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 and that's not true, okay? What runs deeper, right? Is it Jesus, the gospel in your heart? What, what runs deeper? Or is it worry? Right? When, when life is crazy, do you just trust in him or you just worry like crazy? What runs deeper? Is it Jesus or is it your desire to have money, to be successful? What runs deeper, Jesus or your desire to just have pleasure? Are you going to obey or are you just going to seek pleasure? And what this, what this parable is telling us is whatever runs deeper is going to choke out the other thing so that it won't grow. And if you're constantly, through your decisions, letting money come before Jesus, you're letting pleasure come before Jesus, you're letting worry come before your trust in Jesus, eventually that's just going to choke out your faith. It'll be slow, but it'll choke it out. And, and the hardening is, I will tell you, having watched it in too many people, it is a slow process. Now, this is a young church. A lot of young people here, but as we've been growing sort of exponentially, I would say perhaps our fastest growing demographic right now are those of you that are 50 plus. And I know many of you come here because it's not fluffy, right? And so here's some non-fluff just for you, okay? One of the most heartbreaking trends in the American church right now is what we see happening among those who are empty nesters. Now, listen, before you get nervous, okay, I know some absolutely incredible people, right? A lot of them are in this church that are in their 50s and their 60s and their 70s, and they are absolutely passionate about Christ. But that being said, we keep seeing this trend in the American church at an alarming rate where parents, they raise their kids in the church, and they teach them to tithe, to, to serve, to love Jesus, and their kids grow up, and they do exactly that, only to find that their mom and dad have now lost their passion for those very same things. But yeah, they're still kind of hanging around the church a little bit, but they really don't give anymore like they used to. They've kind of retired from church involvement, and you could write an entire book about this trend in America right now, and they've lost their passion that they once had for Christ when they were in their 20s, 30s, even early 40s. One of the things that the Lord has shown me in, in ministry is that there are two stages in your life that will undoubtedly be great revealers as to whether you truly have strong faith or not. The first you may be familiar with. There's a lot written about this. The first is when you graduate high school and you move out on your own right? We know this. The second one is when your last kid graduates high school, and now you're on your own. Just as the kid who goes off to college quickly is going to find out if their faith is truly their own, if it was just for their parents, so the empty nester quickly finds out if their faith is truly their own, or if it was just something they were doing for their kids. And I cannot tell you how many people I've watched 
over the years. They send their last kid off to college, and within two years, their seat at church is empty. If you're in your 40s right now, right, maybe early 50s, when you tell your kids, and I know many of you do this, you tell your kids and you talk to them, you better be spiritually ready for college. I want you to also look at yourself and say, you better be spiritually ready for when they leave. Because it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. You've got to ask yourself, how are you going to keep running after Jesus when you're 45? When your kids leave the house? When you're 75? It's a marathon, not a sprint. So what does it look like to cultivate, continually cultivate the good soil in your spiritual heart? What does it look like to let the gospel sink down deeper than anything else? For one, and I hope that you're hearing this loud and clear by now, even if you're only 25, and there's a number of you in your 20s here too, you need a commitment to watch and cultivate your spiritual heart until you breathe your last. Right? You need to be committed to running the marathon, not just a sprint. I think one of the things that jumps out from the text when you really study it is the word here is used seven times just in this little passage. Uh, we're told in the book of Romans that faith comes by, anybody know? What is it? Hearing. If, if you want your heart to continually stay soft towards Christ, if you want your heart to be one where this, the seed, when it comes, is penetrating your heart, it's permeating throughout your heart, then you have to be committed to hearing. Year after year, month after month, you expose yourself to the word of God as often as you can. One of the major mistakes that <clears throat> I see Christians make is we, we try and live off the fumes of some great experience we had with God three years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago, right? And there was this amazing point in your life and you really believed in him then, but you haven't really done any significant work to keep growing in him since then. And you're just kind of, I don't know, like you believe, but if you're totally honest with yourself, you're just kind of hanging on right now. And maybe that's you. But listen, while you're just hanging on, doing nothing, Jesus says in the word today that while you do nothing, you have three forces that are working against you. It says the thorns, while you're stalled, are growing deeper. The rocks of trials are finding their way into your life. And the devil is trying to steal every seed every time you hear it, right? So when you take a break from working on your faith for a few months, maybe even a few years, guess what? The devil isn't taking a break, right? He's never been happier that he doesn't have to face any spiritual resistance from you. Christianity is the commitment to a perpetual cultivation of your heart. And you do that by hearing. And you do that by forcing yourself to heal here, even when you don't feel it. Because you're, you're going to feel just about everything in your life as a Christian. You're going to have seasons, maybe you're in it right now, where you're just so much joy. And there's so much peace. And you just feel free in Christ. But this is an honest church, right? You're going to have seasons, even as a Christian, where you just feel low. You feel bitter. 
Maybe you even fall into a bout of depression. You're just going to have seasons like that. And if you decide that you're not really going to seek just the hearing of God's word, you're being in scripture, you're talking to other Christians, if you decide, I'm not really going to do that right now because I'm just not feeling it, then your heart is going to harden. And the thorns will keep growing deeper. And that is a dangerous thing. Now, I have a friend who uh, went through a whole lot in his life. And it led to an incredible dry period of his faith. Just this period of his faith. Lasted for a few years, actually. And I'll never forget him telling me one of the best things that he ever did was he told himself, and he kept telling himself, I don't feel it right now. But I know that my feelings don't convey truth. Right? He knew you're going to have this roller coaster of up and downs in, in, in your spiritual life. And he just kept seeking God anyway. He kept coming to church. He didn't feel it. He kept coming to church. He kept volunteering. He kept going to a small group at his church. He just kept letting the seeds hit his heart even though he didn't feel it. Right? This is the type of discipline that our grandparents' generation knew really well. But it escapes us as Americans today because we build our lives and our decisions on feelings. We feel like feelings are the end-all truth. But listen, truth is the truth, not your feelings. And I've seen too many people walk away from Christ because they just weren't feeling it. Where I look at my friend, and he just kept letting the seeds drop. And you know what? Today, he enjoys one of the most passionate walks with Christ out of anybody I know. Because he realized that life is a marathon, it's not a sprint. And you're going to hit some spots along the way in your walk. Let's be honest. You're going to hit some spots where you just feel like quitting. But you just keep keep moving, right? No one ever said that a marathon was going to be easy. Hebrews tells us that we are to run the race with perseverance, with endurance, You know, one of the things that I uh, have found fascinating, I'm a sports fan, one of the things that I found just really interesting over the last couple of years uh, was the year-long retirement love fest that some athletes have received. Uh, In particular, I'm thinking of uh, Kobe Bryant uh, and Derek Jeter, right? Both great players in their own right, but everywhere they went, their last year before they retired, in opposing stadiums, everywhere, the people, they, the, the stadiums would have video tributes to them. They would have standing ovations. The, the fans would just go nuts in honoring these guys for an entire year. Now, they're great players, but what's the difference? Why did this happen to them and not just some other famous athlete that's going to the Hall of Fame? The difference is both of those guys spent their entire 20-year career with one team. Kobe Bryant with the L.A. Lakers, Derek Jeter with the New York Yankees. It's similar to if uh, nowadays, like, you're at a gathering and you're introducing people and someone stands up and they say, here's my name, uh, this is my spouse, we've been married for 45 years. What do people do in our culture when that happens? A hundred years ago, right, 1918, if you stood up and you said, oh, this is my spouse, we've been married for 45 years, people would yawn, right? They'd maybe say, it's impressive you're still alive, (laughs) <laughs> these days, right? But the, uh, we, 
what, what, what is that about our culture? In today's culture, sticking with anything for a long time is an incredible feat. But let me tell you, the people who pull it off, they don't do it half-heartedly. Okay, Kobe Bryant didn't luck into a 20-year Hall of Fame career. Married couples celebrating their 45th anniversary, they don't just coast for decades. They're committed to working on it no matter how they feel. I just plead with you to treat your faith in the same way. They're going to have some spots when you don't feel. Run with perseverance. You're going to have some spots where it's just really difficult. You keep working on your heart every day. And one of the reasons that you keep running is because you know that there is an amazing finish line at the end. You ever actually watched an end of a marathon? It's an incredible sight to see, right? You see these people, they've just been running for four or five hours. Right? For some of you, like four or five minutes would be the same celebration, right? Four or five hours, and they didn't stop, right? And they're just hobbling towards the finish line, and they look tired as all get out, right? And yet everybody is going nuts for them because they know what an amazing thing it is to finish the race. It's great that you're here today, but finish the race. That's your goal. And I don't know, let me show you a picture. I don't know if you saw this picture uh, this summer of, this is uh, Chicago Cubs infielder David Bodie. Uh, he's just rounding third base. He's the bottom of the ninth inning. He just hit a grand slam to win the game. Now, it's a great photo, but I saw many people comment on this and say, you know what, this is also a great picture of what walking into heaven is going to feel like when you finish. Right, we run, and we can run, and we can persevere, because the finish is great. And so keep walking, keep hearing, and go the distance. Amen.